0: Well, welcome everyone to the third ever episode of Everything Bagels podcast. Uh, this is Zach here with Anna, and I hear that you recently had a uh, non-NWSL, more really WOSA-related soccer experience recently.
1: I um yeah, I, I am very jet lagged because I just flew back from London. I was at Wembley for the Carabao Cup final and I got to see Liverpool lift the trophy after extra time.
0: Yeah, well, that's more trophies than I've seen most of my uh, soccer teams win in the last decade. And the sad thing is that I follow a ungodly amount of soccer teams. Um, so congratulations to you. Cool that got to experience that. and hopefully for the both of us uh, we could see a certain team in the Bay lift a trophy, uh at least one trophy this season. But don't want to put that expectation out there. But also just uh, you know, that's what the sport is about. And everyone at the beginning of the season is like, I think we I think we could, could we? But I um, think
1: we could. Yeah, you know I mean I'm keeping receipts of all the people saying Bay is coming in last place. Okay.
0: Yeah, we maybe Yeah, I mean, we could talk a little bit about that off the top um, to kind of invite people in. It's been a little bit, so we can be a little feisty at the jump. Um, But yeah, it's been funny because there is the, and I'll mention them again uh, later in the podcast. Uh, I'll see if I can scroll down far enough to um, get their names. Thank you, Um, Evan Davis and Eric Morgan host a podcast I've been listening through a lot called Expected Own Goals, which focuses on U.S. Women's National Team and uh, NWSL, among other things. They also touch on European soccer. And so they were um, talking a lot about Bay FC. They essentially had like a Bay FC episode. I mean, it's focusing mostly on the signing of uh, Kudan Nanji, who we're going to get into. um, And, you know, they were talking about how like at worst they – put expectations out there depending on if uh, there's supposedly another major signing that could happen for another NWSL club that could shake things up. But, you know, I don't know what that might be. I mean, there's some speculation, but anyway, they said that they feel like at worst, uh, Bay could be like a fourth place team, which is crazy for an expansion team. But yeah, on the flip side, we've seen people saying Bay could finish last.
1: I, I'm not going to put any expectations on where Bay finishes Mm -hmm. except I think they'll finish top half.
2: That being said,
1: I I get, I get why everyone's skeptical about an expansion team, right? I think historically they don't do very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think San Diego was like the exception to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think what Casey Stoney has done with San Diego is really like impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. Even Angel City, right. They, they got a playoff berth in their second season um, in a very dramatic fashion with that 5-1 <laughs> win against Portland. That was something. Um, but I've, I've seen people explicitly point to the pieces that Bay has gotten and be like, this is why they're going to come in last. And I was like, I don't know how you look at these players and say they're going to come in last because of this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, maybe if you flip the table upside down and you view it that way, I, I, you guys can't see me on camera, but I'm gesturing as if one is flipped over a piece of paper. That's the only way I could really see that sort of thing happening. Yeah. Unless literally, like, you know, I'm knocking on all the pieces of wood in my house. But, like, unless there was massive injuries, which, again, like, that has nothing to do with the players that are brought in. That's just what can happen. Like, you know, we've seen a lot of unfortunate ACL injuries come up in recent weeks with um, June Endo at Angel City, me official with the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, it's something that can happen. And then, you know, we'll we'll mention a bit later, but our very own um, non-ACL injury, thankfully, but Scarlett, um, you know, suffered a um, bit of a seemingly minor, thankfully, injury. Um, so outside of things like that happening, I feel like, yeah, expecting Bay to finish last and especially – when you have, you know, on the other side of expansion, Utah, who, you know, I, I fault I, there's no way to fault their players about this, but they haven't really brought in any game changers seemingly, and you don't always need them, but also, you know, if you look at the recruitment they has done and think, this is how you finish last, like, I don't, I don't really understand it. I guess I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I think
1: some of it's got to be just folks wanting to be contrarian um i think some yeah I some of its jealousy and i think some of it is genuine misunderstanding of some of the leagues these players are coming from Mm. you know i think most folks are familiar with barcelona Mm -hmm. and and how well barcelona has done on a global scale um Mm -hmm. but i think there's and i'll I can get into this when we talk about the signing of Rachel Kuntanaji, but like just a misunderstanding of Liga F in general. Mm. Um, I am not one who particularly enjoys the what league is the best league in the world debate, because I don't think any of them are the best league in the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: None of them I think are at a standard yet where we can make that argument. Um I think there's pros and cons to all of them, I think, you know, I think the big one with the NWSL obviously is is the parity and the lo- the high level of competition across teams. You mm-hmm. don't necessarily see that in, in, in every league, but that doesn't make players from those leagues not good.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And actually in that um, expected Own Goals podcast episode, which we can also link to and show notes and various other things, one of the things that was talked about was looking specifically at players like um, Rachel and um, Oswala who are in, you know, Liga F, which, you know, to give fuller context, one of the critiques that is had about that league is that, you know, it's Barcelona and then everyone else, which I forget how many years on the bounce Barca has won the competition. So there is a bit of truth to that, but at the same time, that's discrediting the various other professional players Uh, involved there and the various other teams. But um, long story short, players like Aswala and um, Kunanji were brought in and they are players that perform well, not only against like minnows, but also against like, this is using statistics and ones which, you know, are actually, again, backed by numbers. Like they actually also perform well against other higher level teams. It's not just, you know, farming on, Um, you know, minnows, stat padding, as it were. Um, Yeah, so I I would agree that I think some of it comes from a bit of reduction, and just, um, again, could almost be from a place of defense. I think it is fair to be like, you know what, you don't know how these players are going to adapt, but there has to be a balance to that, as well as being like, well, they performed at a high level for a reason, and it's likely that even if it takes some time for them to gel, that they should likely have some similar amount of form in this uh, new league
1: completely agree and i think part of that is what makes a good coach or like scouting team right mm-hmm. you're not the best scouts aren't pulling from the top like the already top teams and already established top players right like that's not feasible you can't just scout mm-hmm. the like you can't just scout aitana bonmati whenever you want right <laughs> That's Mm -hmm. not, that's not possible financially for probably Mm -hmm. any team. If she would ever leave Barcelona, I don't even want to know how much she's going to go.
0: Yeah. And specifically in a league like NWSL, which has salary cap, there's just, it's literally made so you can't do that. So you have to focus on having solid players, not only at the top of your salary rungs, but also, you know, all the way down to like your draft picks. Or your non-roster invitees to your preseason. Like you want to be able to develop players across the board, and not just you know like a uh, Real Madrid Galacticos of the twenty or the two thousands twenty tens of just buying every big name player. And then again, to be fair to the current Real Madrid, they're doing a mix of both of also like bringing in players through academy, which you know as far as NWL goes at this point, the equivalent would be you know drafting and being able to build through the draft so yeah it's it's interesting to see the hot takes we'll maybe have to dive more into them in um yeah in the future in another episode but um for now on a bit more of a serious note uh there was a bit of kind of a recent news topic in general Woso space that we felt was relevant to nwcell fans um whether we touch on it briefly or have a little bit further of a discussion we'll kind of just kind of see how we're feeling but um you know just for general content warnings if this is something that uh you may not have um an interest in listening to we'll provide a timestamp to uh, where we go into the rest of the relevant BFC news but we just felt like this was uh, relevant to discuss and so just topics of like uh unethical relationships and um suicide and um you know some of the stuff that's come up in recent years with NWL, unfortunately um we'll be touching on here but uh the situation that we're referencing is specifically with a coach out uh, formerly or most recently with i think it was Leicester. is that correct
1: sheffield united
0: sheffield okay yeah. um from Leicester, that's what yeah. I was getting mixed up. But um there's a coach, Jonathan Morgan, out there who um was fired from his position at Sheffield and it was due to uh if I call correctly, due to actually what the club found out about things that happened while he was coach at Leicester.
1: Correct, yes. Yeah, so um I don't want to assume that everyone listening knows the whole situation with Jonathan Morgan. Um, I highly recommend there's a lot of good um, journalism on it through the athletic and, and through other uh, particularly UK media outlets. Um, But Jonathan Morgan was most recently the coach at Sheffield United. uh, And he's kind of come under the spotlight recently because of the passing of Maddie Husek, who, um, died by suicide, and her family, uh, you know, raised to the club concerns about how Morgan was conducting himself um, as a coach, how he was treating the players, how he was treating Maddie, and Sheffield did an investigation and had someone come in and do an investigation and, you know, they said they couldn't find evidence of anything, he was cleared, and then, I believe a anonymous complaint was filed um with regards to his time at Leicester, and that is where it has come out that he had had a relationship with a player. Um, I believe she was either seventeen or eighteen at the time. She and, was uh, seventeen, and he was in his late twenties. Um. And of course, he was coach; she was player. So I think, again, the the age in and of itself is questionable, but also the, the the relationship and and the reason I was wanted to bring this up was, um, it there were just so many parallels in in terms of how the club or clubs seem to have handled things. It felt a lot like. things have played out in the nwsl in the past unfortunately Mm -hmm. where a club will be you know told hey um some things happened or or this person doesn't have the best reputation uh just so you know and then they'll still hire them they won't do any due diligence Mm -hmm. and that is pretty much exactly what happened here um
0: yeah, it's very similar to the situation yeah. with Paul Riley, a former Portland Thorns coach uh, who was involved with um, more serious allegations as far as um, sexual coercion, I think would be the term. Um, and he was fired without a mention from Portland about, or I forget if he was necessarily fired or just he moved on.
1: I think his uh, contract was technically up and they yeah, didn't renew it. Sure. But- that's what makes the whole situation, right? Was so difficult, was no one could really pinpoint exactly what had happened. Yeah.
0: And if nothing else, he then went to the Western New York Flash, who were a team at the time, currently now the North Carolina Courage. And they weren't informed of any potential issues um, by Portland. Uh, they, there, one could say potentially they could have looked into it, but also, um, for all they knew, like, why would Portland withhold that information from them? Um, So they ended up hiring him, and he became a well-known coach because he, you know, kept winning championships. He was part of why North Carolina were winning championships, but then what was lying beneath the surface was um, vile. Um, yeah, so all this to loop back to with what's happening with Morgan, you know, all that we know at the very least is that there's potentially an ethical relationship at the very least due to the power dynamics between a coach and um, a player under their care supervision. Uh, Morgan, you know, insists that the player was 18 years old. Um, The player's uh, family or the anonymous complaint that came out, you know, said that she was 17. She came into the squad at age 16. So in any case, it's, um, you know, not great, and it's something we're just. Um, I don't know. We're reminded that just because like NWSL has worked through a lot of um, a lot of its issues, kind of had to. I mean, honestly, be burnt down to a bit of its core in the last few years to be built back up again, and we're still seeing. Uh, moves happen to try and fully step out of that. Like I think Portland is still trying to finalize a sale from the ownership that, you know, allowed that stuff to happen. Um, And so it's taking time, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that these situations can't or won't occur again in American soccer or that they don't occur outside of uh, American soccer because do definitely recall situations where fans, um, from other nations or other leagues were essentially like, Oh, I can't believe that's happening out there. Thank God it doesn't happen here. And it's like, well, unfortunately it's more likely that just, you haven't heard of anything or there hasn't been a situation for speaking out. Um, so all that can hope for this situation is that the truth is found and that it just acts as another place where, um, people that, do feel they need to speak out, whether in the world of soccer or not, feel that they have the ability to do such and not to have to um, sit in silence.
1: Completely agree. Yeah. I think we just really wanted to hold space for these conversations because the change that was enacted in the NWSL, and I think just like soccer in the U.S. at large because of the, the Paul Riley reckoning, um, and then kind of the domino effect that it had with other coaches mm-hmm. within the WSL. Um, I think the league wouldn't have survived if that hadn't happened when it did the way it did, mm-hmm. and it feels like the you know Sheffield United is not a WSL club. Um, they're in the championship, but. They have Pro Rail, right? Like these teams are all connected, mm-hmm. and this feels like a a a, ter- a potential turning point for for that league, um, mm-hmm. and for I think it's nuco is is the who's coming in to take over mm-hmm. the WSL and Championship from the FA,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I think it's just important to talk about these, right? Like similarly with what we saw with Spain this summer, these are stories that should be told. And even if they're not directly related to what we're talking about, we we want to highlight them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do appreciate um, that sports, you know, we want them to be a space that are an escape from these sorts of topics and these sorts of things. But it's, if we ignore these topics, and we don't give them their their due time that just lets them continue in small or large part. And so, you know, it's similar to not, you know, not going to open the discussion, but, you know, people that are like, we don't want politics in sports. It's like, well, it's literally always been there, always will be there one way or the other. Um, and so these situations we want to just discuss so that, um, you know, we give a proper, proper context, just kind of what's going on in global soccer. And then just, yeah, do respect to, you know, these individuals that are uh, making their voices heard. But um, yeah, from there, and appreciate all of y'all that um, listened to that. But uh, yeah, we'll move on to some more Bay FC specific news. And so on Tuesday, February 13th, uh, well-known by all as Valentine's Day Eve, Um, Bay FC announced uh, the signing of Zambian striker, Rachel Cunanji, uh from Liga F club Madrid CFF. And also so that folks aren't confused. No, that's not Real Madrid. That's a separate team. This is another team that plays in uh, Madrid in Liga F, the Spanish uh, women's league. It is a women's specific club, specific team. And Bay actually broke a world transfer record that was only set, I think like two weeks prior uh, by Chelsea and they paid $787,000, an additional $75,000 in performance add-ons, uh, reportedly. And she signed a four-year deal with an option for a fifth year, and that would see her get paid over $2 million additional, uh, two and additional $2.5 valuation when considering cap hit for things like housing and whatnot. It's also funny, too, because it was similarly breaking the mark that um, And I don't know if Oswala also technically broke this or not, but at the very least, um, when Dana Castellanos was initially announced, it was reported that she was going to be the most expensive international player in NWSL. And so at the very least, Kutunanji most likely also uh, broke that mark. So BFC really has been uh, rolling when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, and this signing was funny Because you and I had been talking before this was announced. um, And I had kept saying, I feel like something's coming. We both (laughs) were like, something is coming. Bay FC is going to do something. Um, But full disclosure, I had... Kundanji was not on my radar at all. Because she had been mentioned earlier. And I think the release clause... um, She'd been, she'd just been tied to the NWSL and I think just like leaving Madrid. Yeah, I think in
0: January. Yeah.
1: The release clause was mentioned, and it essentially every media outlet was like, oh, it's a no go because it's so much money. No Mm -hmm. one's going to pay that. And it wasn't even a, it wasn't a dig, I think, at Kundinati. It was just like a, we have not seen anyone pay this much yeah, money. Yeah, exactly. We will not see it happen, this transfer window kind of commentary. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, BFC said, hold my beer, <laughs> and did. Yeah, it's
0: it's incredible. And, yeah, it, it was something where I had to look back afterwards Um I think there was literally a single reply to the uh, like teaser tweet that mentioned Kudanaji. And I think it was by a Zambian fan. I'm not sure. Uh, but when I saw that name mentioned, I was like, I have to like do some Googling and first of all, see who this is. Uh, Cause I'm not, I was uh, as the phrase goes, I was not familiar with her game. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I looked and I think it was early January. There was a mention that there was interest in her, from an end team, but the price seemed to be too much, and then suddenly, yeah, you had Chelsea. I think it was Maya Ramirez they signed and broke the transfer record, and then they broke it by I think like one to two hundred thousand themselves, a couple of weeks later. So we're kind of in unprecedented times. It seems like potentially in the summer we could very well see, um, if not this summer, next summer, the first like million dollar, um, women's transfer happen, um. If not someone doing something crazy this window, which I feel like probably won't happen, but also with what rumors had been out there, you never know. But um, yeah, I'm really obviously happy with it. It is funny because um, you know there was the the memes starting out with Bay FC as far as uh, I know, uh, Bridge Brigade put out Brickwall FC, and just also the joke with. Yeah. Bay fans as well as with non-Bay fans. And if we sell fans, was like, oh, they only know how to sign defenders. I would constantly joke that they seemingly were legally required to do so because it felt like that at the time, that they legally were not allowed to sign non-defenders. Um, but as we had written here in the notes, Bagels FC, as is the title of our podcast, it does feel inevitable with all these attacking international signings that we've gathered, whether big names or uh, more unknown names, such as princess, for example, exciting times.
1: Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned something that, um, I think I want to touch on, we can either talk about it now, or we can dive into Rachel specifically, and then talk about this, but, um, people You know, these transfer records being broken and, you know, you mentioned you weren't as familiar with Kundanaji's game. And so I had been scouring Reddit, you know, before the signing and after the signing, I was curious what people were saying. And and one of the big discussions was, I can't believe someone would pay this much for a player that's like playing in this league. Um, How do you know that they're going to perform like, you know? in men's football a lot of the times people are like farmers league farmers league about certain leagues and i feel like people without using that exact language are kind of s- often say that about Liga f mm-hmm. and i take a lot of issue with that because i think they don't watch enough Liga f first of all mm-hmm. um and then also even if let's say Liga f was horrible and everyone was bad or like all the teams were bad um which, again, is not true. I think Barcelona skews people's perception of the league.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Remember, Barcelona wins the Champions League pretty like handily. Mm-hmm. So, and, and similarly, like Lyon wins the Champions League, but Paris FC took out Wolfsburg and Arsenal. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I think people's ideas of the talent in these leagues that maybe aren't in the biggest teams is very skewed. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah, and then too, with that, and something that was mentioned on that, uh, expected uncles, was that um, Kunanji herself is coming from, you know, in contrast to Oswala, not Barcelona. And, you know, so she was having to play against the best team in the league mm -hmm. and one that is a lot better by a lot larger margin. So there is something to the fact of, one, that, you know, she... I mean, to be blunt, had a harder time in league play than, let's say, Oswala, just because Oswala is essentially playing with an all-star team. Um, and, yeah, she's having to face that. And then also, too, um, you know, she had some good teammates at Madrid CFF, but nothing necessarily to the equivalent of, let's say, Barca or Lyon or something like that. So it is definitely something where um, there's yeah, a balance in this discussion of, recognizing okay there are some teams that are not the best in their leagues but that does not mean that they don't also feature um great players in themselves and yeah I, um i think i've seen discourse essentially saying that between this transfer and uh, some others with madrid that it seems like they kind of their season as far as like a potential title challenge has already been sunk. And that's just kind of how, you know, it goes for now, but also we'll see if they can reinvest money. Um, But it speaks to the caliber of player uh, that we have in Rachel now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think building on that with regards to the transfer fee discussion, um, I think this summer we're going to see the million dollar signing. I think it's going to happen. And something I had thought about based on what I was seeing people on Reddit say was, you know, some people were questioning like these values, seem, these valuations seem so high, mm-hmm. like they're spiking so quickly. And I think part of it is we just don't, we've never had a baseline before, right? Players mm-hmm. have been undervalued for so long because there hasn't been money in the game. Yeah. Now We're finally seeing some money in the game. And it's like, oh, it can be a lot of money. And, you know, I I had mentioned earlier, right, like, if a player like Aitana Bonmati were to leave Barcelona, that fee is going to be unfathomable,
2: right? Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that when we see a player of that caliber move, it doesn't even have to be Aitana, right? Like, let's say, bringing it to NWSL, we see uh, a...
0: Like a Rodman Uh, leave. Yeah,
1: a Rodman leave, or like Sophia Smith. I mean, I think Ashley Sanchez went for way less than she should have. Like, I think Mm -hmm. within within the NWSL, transfer Mm -hmm. fees are way low. Mm -hmm. But I digress. I think we're just finally starting to scratch the surface of what these players are worth. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it feels like overspending. Mm -hmm. But it's actually not overspending. Just finally pulling back the reality of of what people are willing to pay.
0: Yeah, and I'd also say kind of on the flip side and something that's interesting is that you know if it seems like these fees are going to keep going up and contract sizes are going to go up more and more um what today is a record breaking signing in a year or two will be a um like a bit of a steal of a contract if prices keep going up. So it's something that um for any folks as far as crossover goes that follow for example uh even in passing like the nfl um it's something where you look at like quarterbacks their um their contracts have gone up over time and so it's someone where like you see them being paid you know and here's a bit of context or juxtaposition hundreds of millions of dollars and crazily someone like let's say Patrick Mahomes or my own Buffalo Bills Josh Allen who were recently signed to contracts in the last couple of years like due to the valuations of players and things like that um, by the time that like the next crop of quarterbacks get their contracts they'll suddenly look like relative steals in comparison so I feel like could end up seeing a similar thing if um, Dana and Rachel and Oswala if they all end up um, or Z as I think her nickname is um, if they all play up to their potential then we could be in you know just a couple of years being like damn I'm glad that Bay bought in when they did because now we have these players now versus needing to pay who knows how much in you know a year or a couple of years time and that's something that we also saw some reporting about as far as why Bay put all this money in right now Uh, and specifically with this transfer in part was because they probably would not have had uh, the amount of um, transfer money as they do now that uh, in the future. And so it's like, okay, why sit on it rather than just using it now on day one and trying to bring in these players from, you know, on the ground floor so that we can have them integrated into the squad at the very start. And I think that's, you know a very good way to look at it too is like also too there's just the whole discussion of like it's literally not our money it's not your or my money so i don't care how much the club is spending because it's not out of my pocket um you know i can critique whether transfers are good or not also i feel like out of the, all the transfers that we've seen so far i think that they've all been well placed you know there are definitely Um, Some pauses, but I also feel like how the roster has been put together, that there's kind of the weaknesses of certain players are answered by the strengths of others. So, like a critique of Oswala that I've seen is like, you know, she's trending toward, you know, despite being a world class player, you know, she's trending toward the relative end of her career or the end of her peak. Um, So you balance that out by signing younger attacking players. Um, and then, you know, the younger attacking players, like let's say a princess, they don't have, she doesn't have as much experience as Oswala. You know, and that's why bringing Oswala, you bring in a Jen Beattie. Uh You bring in someone like Dana Castellanos, who, you know, wasn't getting enough play at City. Uh, yeah, so all that to say, like, I've been really happy with the recruitment we've done. And I guess to loop it back to something mentioned previously, the fact that we did start out by like building with a defense and making sure that, you know, what, even if let's say attackers on the performer are not with us for one reason or another, we have a really solid defense to just not let goals in. Like that's going to be something that's very important um, when it comes to the end of the season, potentially, let's say goal differential is deciding between, you know, a playoff spot or not a playoff spot. If we're mid table.
1: Speaking of goal differential. I feel like we can really dive into Kunzunanji right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think part of that plays into the age thing as well. I think signing her on a 4 plus 1 contract, she's 23 years old, right? That would get her to 27, 28 if she takes the fifth year. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's peak Yeah performance years for it's players it's incredible and that's where this money in the long run i personally think it's going to be a steal mm-hmm. um but so just to you know i think a lot of people aren't super familiar with her game um or at least the specifics of her game and how well she's done and then also liga f in general so there were a couple of things i wanted to talk about mm-hmm. one being last season she was the second highest scorer in the league. She mm-hmm. scored 25 goals in 29 games played. On top of that, Oshwala was the third highest scorer <laughs> with 21 goals. <laughs> so, we're getting like true goal scorers. Insane. Here. Um more goal scoring. Rachel scored in Zambia's first ever World Cup win in a 3-1 win against Costa Rica last summer, which, you know, was one of the multitude of of teams that that clinched a a first win in a world cup and i think a 3-1 win over costa rica like costa rica is a decent team right like that's Mm -hmm. that's awesome um but this is really what i want to get into so because i people were getting me heated about how they were talking about liga f so for context on how good of a player I think she is, because I think people who don't watch Liga F assume, you know, I've t- we, we were already talking about this, but I think they assume outside of Barcelona, mm-hmm. it's a farmer's league. Which is why I think we saw a lot of people actually shocked over Chelsea's acquisition of Mayra Ramirez um, and her transition into the team and the WSL from Levante. So, you know, I think... Th- people look at Liga F and they assume that because that the way Barcelona dominates is the rule. Um, But Barcelona is the exception. Barcelona is the best team in the world. Not every team is going to go into Liga F and dominate the way Barcelona does. It's not normal. Um, We're talking, you know, like this is the best team in the world. And while yes, I would say Liga F is not the single most competitive league and there's a long way to go before we maybe see parity and competition outside of, you know, three to four teams. Top talent still exists within these clubs, even the ones people haven't heard about. Um, and so I think a good, like, playing example of that is last May, Madrid CFF played and beat Barcelona. Rachel scored both of the goals in that game. <laughs> One in the 30th minute, one in the 37th minute. So that's two goals in seven minutes against Barcelona. And this was not their B team, which, by the way, their B team is a lot of people's A teams. Um, this was a game that saw players like Patri, Oshwala, Hira Walsh, Aitana, and Mappy Leon all starting. And then Alexia Selma and Claudia Pina all came off the bench. I'm sorry. <laughs> in any other... Like, people would be crying in that scenario if that's your starting lineup and then you see Alexia come off the bench, Salma come Mm -hmm. off the bench, Claudia Pina come off the bench. This is not this is not your run of the mill player. Um so in the context of BFC and the squad they're building, I think her link up with Z is gonna be deadly. Right? Like these are two very clinical finishers and they're not just good at getting the ball in the back of the net, they take every shot that's given to them, right? And I think that's, I think shots taken is really, really valuable because I think sometimes the thing that, that drives me crazy in the NWSL is not seeing enough shots t- taken. I think sometimes teams want to want to set up the perfect shot rather than mm-hmm. just trying to, trying to shoot. Um, mm-hmm. And these are, they, Rachel and Z are shooters. Shooters shoot. They're going to shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, right they have 46 goals between them for a season
2: mm-hmm.
1: and if you have both of them up top that's inevitably going to cause defenses to scramble especially if you have Dana playing the 10 right like someone mm-hmm. is going to be pulling a defender out of position that's going to create space for another one I think there's like a very harmonious situation that can happen here
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, that's the strength in having players that um, can be a focus is even if they're not the ones currently scoring the goals, they're going to be taking the attention of um, opposing defenders one way or the other. Um, If we want to talk, you know, Bay Area sports, if you're a basketball fan or even if you're just casually aware of it, you look at someone like Steph Curry for the warriors who more often than not has two defenders of five players on him at all times, which then obviously if you're doing the math will mean that someone else is open. And so just having a player with that gravity, as they like to say, allows for there to be a situation where there is, you know, opportunities and space for someone else to score a in, um, you know, I, I had the privilege for the last over a decade to watch uh, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wanolowski be that for the San Jose Earthquakes. For, you know, speaking of a team that in the greater scream, people didn't hear of or didn't really, you know, think much of. Like, it was something where, despite being the like highest ever goal scorer in MLS history, still is, he also was someone that players around him had like career seasons because at certain point defenses would be so glued to him that you know, then the the pairing forward would be open and being able to score goals. Um, so it is something where that'll be interesting to kind of see how defenses try to adapt to all these attacking threats and who they try and essentially be like, you know what? I think we can cover, let's say Oswala, and then we'll gamble about whether or not Kunanji will score a goal, or we'll try and cover both of them, and then we'll gamble whether or not Dana or other players will score goals. So it'll be fun to watch from our perspective, because I think that at the end of the day, someone will be scoring goals. Um, Again, steal talking point from expected own goals. Uh, It feels like this is an ad at this point, but it's a really good episode. It was really informative. But something they talked about is like essentially – Bay brought in two like potential golden boot contenders and they probably both by being on the same team kill each other's odds but probably both of them are just fine with that if it means that they're going to be winning games in this league and you know both scoring a decent amount of goals so that'll be interesting to watch too because it's really funny that you know I don't Unfortunately, I don't think NWSL actually has, like, a Newcomer of the Year award, so something that's different from Rookie of the Year, but feels like um, they could have very well, like, three to four different candidates for that, depending on how the season goes.
1: Yeah, I I just think there's so much potential. Um, And, you know, we've been talking a lot about Rachel and Oshwala and Dana and... It makes me think of, so Lucy Rushton did an interview with the prodigal, um, and she talked about how she had noticed that most NWSL clubs are built around American players, which it, which isn't crazy, right? Like, that's not a revelation no. for anyone, save, like, a, a couple of players now. Pretty much every U.S. national team player is an NWSL it's going to be mostly American players when you're pulling from the college draft um but she had she said she wanted to take a global approach and specifically something I really appreciated was this this one sentence our strategy going in was really to try to build a roster that was full of the next generation of U.S. women's national team players and then build that out with top international players and I think you know when you see players like Alex Loera
2: hmm
1: Um, Savvy King, right? That's exactly who I think of when I think of next gen U.S. women's national team players. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue Alex Laro should be current gen U.S. women's national team players, but that's a conversation for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to to give context from are recording, Mexico just pulled a Dos a cero against the mm-hmm. U.S. Women's National Team, so maybe there might be more of a roster shakeup in the near future than was expected, depending on how this the rest of this tournament goes. But this um,
1: certainly was a choice of a lineup. That is all I will say. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah, we can save U.S. Women's talk for for another day. But um, yeah, it is something where that is interesting as far as, and I, I do wonder how much uh, things will change in the near future um, when it comes to roster construction, like if, and the, uh, if Bay FC will be an example to other teams, um, whether new expansion teams or current teams that are out there in how they construct their rosters. Um, Cause it was something where like, I think early on there was speculation about like how will they build out their team. And I think there was a decent amount of speculation from fans that they would build solidly domestically with um defense and, you know, some amount of midfield, but attacking, they'd look internationally. And then here we are, we're close to the start of the season. And that's what ended up being. And I think that, you know, this is speaking someone that is not, you know, not an NWSL player, not an NWSL coach, just speaking as a fan. But I feel like when it comes to like, defensive players I think that's who you'd want to have that have experience in the league Mm -hmm. Um, that is the better option of the two versus like if you're going to bet in someone um, that's from the outside from an outside league I feel like attacking or you know forwards are potentially an easier option to to get in there as far as seeing an impact whereas if you have a defender. Uh, it's potentially a more difficult time trying to learn, you know, opposing attackers and things like that versus if you're already there. Um, That's just anecdotal and just kind of my thoughts. We'll see how it plays out. Um, But I feel like it is something where, you know, in bringing in the talent that they did and like, for example, Loera, uh, when it comes to defensive midfield, like I feel like we're pretty set solid. And so, Um yeah, we have a firm foundation for which this, um, attack is being built on like, um, you know, Albertine Montoya, our coach, it's something where he's talked about, like, he doesn't, you know, want the players to really have to defend, but also at the same time, he has the players to do the job. Um, and so it's something where I think that is going to be potentially a theme for the team is that, um, If Bay is firing on the cylinders as it's designed to, as far as being a possession-based attacking team, that we hopefully won't be called to do too much defending, but also at times where potentially we are having to endure that, you know, we are going to have more than enough of the experience in the back line for um, us to be solid there.
1: Yeah, and I mean... Even up top we'll we'll have players who have NWSL experience, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Tess Bodie, Scarlet Camperos. They're young, right? Like I think mm-hmm. the front line kind of across the board is trends younger, but they both have um some seasons under their belt in the league. And mm-hmm. I think that'll be really helpful just in terms of aiding the transition and then also aiding rotation. Definitely. Uh, I'm always, especially with international players who who play on their international teams, worried about just like how much game time these players are getting. And so mm-hmm. healthy rotation, I think, is going to be really, really crucial. Um, just, right, like we're seeing all these injuries. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is just comes down to how much some of these players are playing.
0: Um, yeah, and then I think I mentioned uh, in previous one of the two previous episodes, that you know, also we're seeing a bit different situation. Kudanaji who's playing week in week out for uh, Madrid CFF, but with, for example, Oswala or Dana, those were situations where they weren't playing as much, uh, but they still were playing. And so um, all these players, to one degree or another, are essentially going to be playing a bit more of a full calendar year, like we talked about um you know Zambia appearing at the World Cup so you have someone like Kudanji or Oswala who like they've been going since last fall no sorry not last fall but like fall of um 2022, 2022 essentially 2022. um with how the schedule is working out and then if they make the Olympics well I mean even if they didn't make the Olympics because NWSL is a summer league but um it's a situation where like they aren't going to get their break until potentially this coming winter. Um, so it is something where we'll see how these players are, um, are balanced out with each other. And yeah, I mean, we can be excited about um our international signings, but you know, kind of to your point, like they aren't, they shouldn't be playing, You know, I can't say they shouldn't be playing every week, but at the very least, they shouldn't be playing necessarily every minute of every match. Like, that's not sustainable. That's not um, good for their health. And so that's why we have, you know, more than 11 players um, on a roster. Yeah, so um, very exciting. But, yeah, it's something where it'll be interesting to see as time goes on how much of this, um, yeah, just how this roster kind of from top to bottom gets utilized and just where everyone's places are.
1: Yeah. I think they have a bright future. That is my very hot take of the podcast episode. AFC has a bright future.
0: (laughs) Well, um, do you have any, anything else you want to talk about with uh, Kudanaji?
1: No, I think I covered everything I wanted to say um but you know we've been talking about some of the other players on the roster we're talking about our defense
0: speaking of bright futures was going to be my uh my (laughs) transition
1: okay you you roll with that one roll that's way better than mine
0: (laughs) speaking uh yeah just call me the uh Segway King, but um speaking of bright futures, we locked down Savvy King to a three-year deal, and that means that she is first uh the first and so far only BFC draftee to be signed. Um you know, in a very little bit of preseason preview. We have seen all of our other currently in camp um sorry, um rookies, uh, draftees. Playing decent amount of minutes, but one that we haven't seen um, because it seems like uh, unfortunately she was cut is uh, Lavani Vaca. So she's someone that um, someone someone actually mentioned this on social media. I forget where it was, so I apologize if you're listening to this and you're like, "Hey, I was the one that pointed that out." i I just can't remember where I saw it, but um, yeah, Lavani Vaca is no longer listed on Bay's website on their roster. Uh, as I think I mentioned in the last episode, it was a bit, to me, um, bit, it's always just, like, annoying or kind of threw me for a loop that the draftees as unsigned players were listed on the roster because it, you know, gave a bit of a false idea of what our roster looked like. Um, I
1: think to clarify for listeners, sure. um, Zach means, like, their web the roster yeah. on their website not yeah. like their preseason roster yeah
0: sure sure yeah yeah thank you um yeah because like to that point the non-roster invitees they weren't listed on the roster website um they weren't you know specific to vodka there was a tweet that BFC published themselves talking about how she was the first um women's professional soccer player from tonga um or playing for the tonga national team and, you know, that kind of implied that potentially she was signed because you can't necessarily be a professional player without that contract. Um, yeah, so it is something where just kind of the situation kind of brings about a um, just kind of reflection, you know, if we're talking more in general with NWSL or with sports, just the um, nature of the beast when it comes to having a college draft and just having drafts in general and not having full free player agency, which that'll be something that'll be interesting to see with the USL Super League. Um, The other D1, you know, kind of essentially a D1 and a half league um, that's going to be popping up in the summer and somewhere that potentially VACA could end up finding a a landing spot. Um, And just seeing how they opt and how they go without, you know, a draft, but this is just something where yeah, it just gives me mixed feelings having seen, you know, they put out there like her post um draft pick reaction, which she had a very emotional one along with her family. And then, you know, weeks later, you know, I understand it's what the coaching staff sees as far as that goes, of not keeping her uh among the roster. Um, but it's something where I at the end of the day I feel like bay as a club and you know, their media team could have potentially communicated things better to fans at large or even to media. Because, um, you know, I saw other places then pile on with, you know, Vaca being the first, um, you know, Tongan professional player. And then now there's not a guarantee that she'll be playing professionally because it's not going to be at Bay FC at the very least. Um, yeah, so that's just kind of some of my thoughts. And um, I do hope for the rest of the rookies that, They do end up on the roster, and it seems like at the very least from the, again, like, we'll dive more into it, but from preseason minutes, it seems like they should, but it's a bit of an odd situation overall with Faka.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it begs the question of, with the persistence of the college draft, right? Like, we can talk about life after college draft, but that's not the reality we live in. How teams navigate just like the social space of it all mm-hmm. um, because so I was at like I was physically in Anaheim for the NWSL draft I remember Leveni um, getting drafted how emotional that whole thing was I think everyone in the room it was like a second wind right like it was pretty late in the night everyone mm-hmm. was exhausted and and then this happened and her family's screaming everyone's cheering it was like this really beautiful moment um and right, like a team's gonna want to capitalize on that. The league capitalized on that. I get it. It's it's good content. Um and I don't really blame like the social teams per se. Sure. Um because I don't think yeah, I, I don't know if, if that's something I put on like social admins um more so mm. than just like general team thoughts on how they should navigate something like yeah. the draft because mm. I mean, Levendi's not the first person to get drafted and then cut. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not the first, probably won't be the last. Um, it's the reality of professional sports. Mm-hmm. I think it also then ties into this idea of like, why draft someone if they're going to get dropped? But Right? Like, you can never fully know. Yeah. You can never fully know. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I for me, it just... You know, even before Leveni, I've always... As someone who's followed the league for so long,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like, I think Zach, you and I are both... Like, we know, generally, getting drafted doesn't mean you're signed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think a lot of people probably don't necessarily know that. Sure. Or they they assume you're drafted, you're in preseason you'll get a contract
2: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and so I think just like maybe expectations around it because but then it also begs the question of like you want the draft to be this like monumental cool thing for these players mm-hmm. if teams then like dial back on celebrating it because of The potential of Mm -hmm. not signing a player does that run the draft uh it's i think it's a it's it's an issue with the draft it's the draft yeah (laughs) it's because it's a draft that it's an issue and i think the usl not doing a college draft is very very interesting um one because maybe if it works out really really well nwsl will take notes Mm -hmm. right like i think the usl existing usl super league existing will um, be like a good learning lesson for both the leagues, right? Like Mm -hmm. they can can learn from each other, grow, push each other. Mm -hmm. Maybe my spicy take is, and I was telling you this before we started recording, I partly think one of the reasons the USL Super League can forego doing a college draft is because the NWSL does a college draft.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And plenty of players put their names in and don't get drafted. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think or players will then eventually get cut right Mm -hmm. Um, and this is not to say that I view the USL Super League as like taking this like getting the leftovers because I don't view them that way at all Um, I just think that's like a very easy but like dots to connect Mm
0: -hmm. if
1: i was if i was the commissioner of the usl super league i would say we're not going to do a draft there's already a college draft happening that Mm -hmm. we can benefit from without having to lift a finger um but maybe that's my spicy cynical take
0: (laughs) Uh, i feel like there is some truth to it um you know and then there would be a potential situation that Um, That does attract certain players that that free agency is something where like, you know what, I potentially can stay in the US but play for a team that I actually can choose to play for. Um, And let's say a me official esque situation where me official was someone that um, I think she was drafted by Orlando, if I recall correctly, I will Um, never
1: forgive. Sorry, I have so much beef with how that whole thing played out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was
0: absolutely bizarre um the second, speaking of
1: sorry i keep cutting you off but oh, the no. second and the second um amanda Cromwell was suspended from orlando pride the fact that no one at least as far as we are aware the general public no one at u.s soccer got on the phone and called me official up and said hey we effed up we are so sorry you got drafted by your old college coach clearly is not not coaching in the league anymore for reasons. Um, like, how do we make this right? Either on a national team level or with the NWSL, whatever. Right? Because um, I think... Yeah. I just have so much beef with <laughs> out, know? And... Part of it was because of how the college draft is set up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I do think, and yeah, for, to finish the thought with Fischl, she was in the NWSL draft, drafted, but then decided to go to play in Liga yeah. MX Femenil down in Mexico uh, for, I think it was Tigres. Um, and then she went from there to transferring to Chelsea uh in the WSL out in England. And so she was a... Um, first well-known NWCL draft Dodger and you know, was able to get free agency the way that she wanted versus, you know, going to let's say Orlando with a coach that um, she didn't have familiarity with or didn't want to play for um, and, you know, either way, whatever team she'd end up with, she would have to accumulate a few years in the league to be able to then eventually have free agency. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see all that comes with uh, with USL, but I do think that because um, MLS is in a slightly similar but different space of the their draft meaning less over time, um, but yeah, from the NWSL perspective, the draft does still mean a lot, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how potentially the league tries to balance keeping parity with, um, with making it so that players can still go to the teams that they want to go to. I think long, like a potential situation is that, um, certain teams get like, um, you know, the first rights to negotiate with certain players or, you know, if the league is going to keep its funny money around of like, um, of the allocation money that, you know, teams that finish in last. You know, in the last places, they get more money to use to uh, potentially recruit college players. But yeah, Um this is something where, you know, we're kind of repeating ourselves a little bit and talking about, like, you know, the expansion draft. That wasn't something that I was I was hoping that that would not exist by the time they came into league, but it still did. Um So similarly with the college draft, hopefully it's something that at the very least, if it's not completely phased out, they do find ways to make it more. Um, friendly to player agencies so that Cell um, can also compete from that perspective. Because, you know, that was something that, for example, and uh, recent Bay FC signing Dana Castellanos, one of the reasons that she also did not join NWSL um, when she had the potential to uh, coming out of college was because of the lack of, especially at that time, just a few years ago, player agency and how much international players could be compensated compared to um domestic like especially national team talent uh US national team talent so it's good to see that um yeah things are changing in that regard but um i don't know if you had any other any other thoughts
1: no i think it might be time to pivot a little bit and maybe talk about scarlet's injury
0: yeah so I think we can just kind of get into um, kind of our international section. And so part of that was, and this is pretty early on. This was, yeah, Friday, February 16th. Scarlett uh, suffered a tear in the, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what happened, but a tear in the left femoral bicep, which from my understanding, uh, through uh, consulting with Dr. Google, is the upper leg muscle, um, is an upper leg muscle, and I'm not sure what uh, was left, um, her left leg. So she's ruled out the Gold Cup with Mexico and was back with Bay FC for rehab. It seems like, thankfully, it wasn't too serious of an injury, as I think she's posted on social media, you know, of herself training, or at the very least being in the training grounds. So it seems like it's not serious enough to... um, you know, keep her fully out of even training action, but it was serious enough to keep her um, out of the Gold Cup tournament with Mexico for the time being. So uh, that is also something that's nice about the various players that we have brought in, whether these international signings or previous um, previous NWSL signings or even our draft picks is like, okay, we don't have to rely fully on just, you know, Scarlet's health, for example. Um, so she can have time to build herself back up.
1: Yeah, i was really encouraged seeing footage of her like running training um kicking the ball around because when i first when the injury was first announced and i googled it i think it said something like three months recovery Oy. so that had me really scared <laughs> but yeah. of course any medical condition that you look up and google it always gives you the worst case scenario so oh. <laughs> um shame on me for not maybe doing more due diligence on that or maybe it can be a three-month injury
0: who knows i'm sure there's some truth in in the middle or it could be up to x amount of time but yeah we're you know we're neither of us are doctors and so uh yeah we'll let this just we'll see how how the things go but it seems like the very least the the afc medical team uh, is feeling confident enough that she can um, keep up with the training, but yeah, it seems like for the sake of like mexico's you know gold cup gold cup tournament that they you know did not see a need to um have her in the squad if she wasn't gonna be able to play for the remainder um but speaking of the gold cup um that brings us to our call up so Scarlett was among the several players, this international break, um, that were called up for their national teams. Um, but sadly, yeah, in the case of Scarlett, she didn't even get to play a single match because of the timing of her injury. Uh, we had another player called up to, um, a gold cup roster and that was, uh, Zian Pru, and she was called up as the seemingly the third string goalkeeper for Canada. Um, it's something where it's just very interesting to observe the Canadian national team these days as, you know, we just unfortunately have seen kind of echoes, you know, speaking kind of to what we talked about earlier as far as seeing echoes of like NWSL um, scenarios within other leagues uh, as far as not great things. Uh, we're seeing that with the uh, Canadian soccer players suing um their own federation for $40 million claiming negligence, a fiduciary duty. And so that's the backdrop of all these matches being played right now. Um, but Prue more specific context to her. She hasn't played in Canada's first two matches at the group stage, which were on the 22nd versus El Salvador and on the 25th versus Paraguay. But, um, Canada's coach, um, Wilkinson, she had mentioned that she's wanting to see as many minutes as possible from the various players of the Canadian national team before the Olympics. And so there is hope that there is a hope that potentially Peru could finally get um some minutes Wait, again.
1: Can I interrupt you? Yeah, sure. Canada's coach is Bev Priestman.
0: Oh uh, Priest. Oh, I was seeing thank you. I was seeing Wilkinson. Um uh, yeah. Yeah, she recently got hired by Wales and uh yeah, that's my mistake. Uh a little bit of a howler there. Sorry, Bev Friesman. Um she was um mentioning recently that she was wanting to get the um yeah, the most mids possible out of the variety of players. And so and although, yeah, as we mentioned before with the Dos Cero going the way of um the US, maybe that will lead to not wanting to experiment as much with rosters. But also, you know, you only have so much time before the Olympics. So um, we'll see. Uh, Hopefully for Peru, she does get minutes because if she doesn't here, I doubt that she would in the knockouts unless there was injuries to the other goalkeepers. Um, Yeah, it is. We were talking a a little bit about this before we started recording, but it is really ironic that the one tournament that is broadcast reliably in the u.s um features two players that we couldn't watch potentially um play due to you know scarlett's case injury and then in uh prue's case potentially due to just where she stacks on the roster um yeah i don't know if you had any thoughts as far as uh crew or the gold cup
1: um, with bay fc related stuff i i don't really have anything to add Um,
2: yeah
0: sure what you just said yeah well um the other major tournament that we have bay players at are the third round of qualifiers uh for the uh confederation the african confederation uh qualifiers for the olympics and so this is the second to last stage of qualifying Uh, Zambia are trying to return to their second ever Olympics after their debut in the last Olympics that took place in 2021. Then Nigeria are looking for their first ever, um, or sorry, not first ever, but their first appearance since 2008. So it's been a little bit. um, And so if the teams advance from here, they would advance to a final round on um, taking place between April 1st and 9th. And there will be two teams that qualify from that after a home and away fixture. And so, um, Rachel Kudendanji, who we were discussing at the top, she and Zambia, um, I played, uh, one match so far. Actually, um, this was, this first match took place after one of their teammates, unfortunately, passed away from illness at just the age of 24, uh, Noren Batani. And so I was at the... Honestly, I was stunned that the match occur- that the match still happened because it was literally a day later that all these players were playing. But, um, you know, kudos to them for their resilience in doing such. Uh, Rachel actually ended up scoring a winning goal. It was a nice little chip. Um, there was, a f- like, essentially a fan cam recording because the FA, you know, God bless them, tried to live broadcast the match, but they were having so many issues on their YouTube channel broadcasting it that there was about like a dozen or more clips of the match. And of course, one of the segments they did not broadcast was when <laughs> Rachel scored. Um, but yeah, Rachel scored the winning goal in a one Oh game. And then their next match will be uh, at home on Wednesday against Ghana uh, as the uh, the return fixture and so Zambia, they just need a draw to move on to this fourth round where they would face the winner of Morocco in uh, Tunisia.
1: Yeah, it's Olympic qualifiers are interesting. I think especially looking at, you know, what it takes a CONCACAF team to qualify, what it takes an AFCON team to qualify, mm-hmm. European teams to qualify, right? Like we're saying mm-hmm. Nations League for the first time. Um but I think it's a fun way to see our international players play. But, yeah, just like you, I wish there were easier ways to watch some of that.
0: Yeah, and speaking of that, um, I Oswala with Nigeria, they did not have any broadcasting, at least anything that I could dig up. And Aswala um, started in a 0-0 zero, zero draw away to Cameroon on Friday. She was subbed out in the 71st minute. And then, pretty surprisingly, she actually did not start against Cameroon uh, in Nigeria. She was subbed in in the 60th minute, and Nigeria ended up winning. I think it was one nothing in this fixture. And I saw, I, I tried to do a little bit of research just see what the general um, thoughts were on that. And I saw one, literally one article from you know Nigerian outlet that was like. You know something to the effect of like a swallow shock benching um and so i'm like okay i can't tell if this is like essentially clickbait or you know if it. i think it was shocking one way or the other but it's something where i haven't seen any comments yet about like you know is it that swallow was um had a knock or was it a tactical thing was it because she hasn't been playing for a little bit yada yada um besides so interesting just I I don't think it has too much bearing on, you know, what we'll be seeing when it comes to our team, but at the very least, it is just an interesting uh, happening, but Nigeria was able to advance um, past Cameroon, and so in April, they'll face the winner of South Africa or uh, Tanzania. And so also something that I was happy about is that we do not have to (laughs) root, uh, we have you don't have to watch a situation of Kunanji and Aswala facing off against each other we can hopefully get two bafs at the very least two Bay FC players uh, at the olympics which would be really cool um but yeah that's that's that for african federation and then one last little note was that uh savvy king is away with the us u20s for a couple friendlies um in colombia uh, and colombia is hosting the U 20 world cup, uh, this, uh, upcoming like end of summer, uh, from August 31st to September 22nd. And so that's during the NWCL regular season, which that'll also be interesting to see how much by that time savvy King is part, like how integral into our roster she is. Um, you know, thankfully, as we talked about before, we have a lot of defensive depth, so we don't need, um, hopefully losing one player for, You know, about a month will not break us, but it will be something to watch. Unfortunately, U.S. soccer has put out like zero information on (laughs) the match uh, that occurred um, this past Sunday. Literally the only information that we could glean from like a um, starting 11 photo and then just the uh, post-match photo was just that. Savvy King did not start the game, and also she did not score the one goal that the U.S. scored. It's literally all the information we have. I assume she played, but I looked for the U.S. Soccer Federation. They didn't put out a press release on the match. They didn't tweet really anything about it. There might be more information now as you're listening, but at least I haven't seen anything um, through official channels or not. I know the game was broadcast in Colombia, but I did not see... Um, the potential for like a replay or something like that. So hopefully there's more information coming out of the second fixture. Um, But also one last uh, interesting thing to note was actually technically this um, match, or sorry, this training camp, it started before the, the first fixture in the preseason for Bay FC. And the funny thing is, is for those of you that have been paying attention to the preseason matches was that King played a full 90 minutes of preseason on uh, Tuesday, February 20th, when this, um, when this preseason or sorry, this U uh, 20 camp started on the 18th. So it seemed like probably there was a handshake agreement between uh, Bay FC and US soccer. It's like, okay, we'll let her go for the second match as long as we get her for this first one, just so we can get her in with the players as so that's probably why she, um, she played also that full 90. I think she was literally the only player um, to play a full 90 that match. Um, and I think also we'll, we'll get into it. Um, but that might also explain why I think she spent best we can tell, half of that match playing as a center back and the other half playing as a left back.
1: And that is where we're going to end for today. So if you want to hear Zach and I deep dive into BayFC's two Coachella Valley games against San Diego and Angel City, make sure to check out our next episode. And with that, up the bagels.